0: So I have four nieces and nephews and I was talking to my sister about IXL and IXL Learning is this fun online program for kids and it covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. My sister and my nephew love it. The way it works is it's powered by AI. So IXL gives the right help to each kid and IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the US. Maybe you've been looking into private tutoring but it's out of the budget or this is a big school year for your kiddo. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And these listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash ologies. So visit IXL.com slash ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the texture's I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Hey, what's up? So it's 2021 and it's a lady from your mom's book club one who apologizes even when she brings cookies. And up top, I want to tell you that this is an encore of an episode that went up in 2018. And it has a ton of never before heard bonus content and asides that I cut out from the previous release. So you have not heard a lot of this. And I'm giving it another spin because many of you have never heard Oology and tis the season to scoop up a lot of discount Easter candy at the drugstore. And I'm working on a big episode for next week that's going to blow your minds. And so I wanted to just take a little bit of a breather. But um, here is eggs alongside a seriously egregious, egregious, I'm so sorry, that wasn't even intentional amount of asides. Um, You may listen to these asides and say, boy, howdy, that's a lot of asides. But I'm happy to have this info on pagan holidays and ostrich nests. Okay, let's dive in it's that. Hi. Hi, it's the lady from your mom's book club. Hi. The one who apologizes even when she brings cookies. Yeah. Hi, it's Allie Ward back with another episode of Oh, man, I never knew I needed this episode. Like we've had an episode about ornithology birds, but now we're going to get to the heart, the heart of the matter. And by heart, I mean, butt. and by but I mean cloaca. So what is a cloaca? Well, as I've said before, it's kind of like the home button on an iPhone. Like if Steve Jobs had designed an orifice, just a multi-purpose little boop, it's good for sensual adult times, for egg laying and poo. So today, we're going to be cracking wise about eggs. Oh, so many eggs. So many glorious eggs. What a wonder! Okay, but first, this podcast, really quick, would not exist without patrons on patreon.com ologies. You can support for a dollar an episode, a dollar a month. Patrons get to hear what episodes are coming up next and submit questions for the ologists. And I say your name is right as my mouth possibly can. Also, ologiesmerch.com has backpacks, caps, Bikinis, shirts, there's totes, gifts, pins, all science themed. Um, But if money's tight because the world is falling apart and it's on fire, that's okay. Rating and subscribing and reviewing keeps ologies up in the charts where other people can see it and say, What is this podcast that talks about slug dicks? And why does this lady call herself my dad? I read all of your reviews. I'm upfront about it, all right? I'm kind of like a concerned parent reading the diary that you left open on the counter. And so to prove it, just like I do every week, I shout out one reviewer. And this week, I would like to thank Beyonce23706. Maybe that's Beyonce. Perhaps it's a different Beyonce who says, This podcast makes me want to make the world a better place. I love hearing all of these people who I would normally think of as existing on another plane and finding out that they're just people. And I could be one of them too. I read that earlier today and I literally started crying. So thank you, Beyonce, for that. Um, okay, let's get that shell back to this excellent episode, shall we? By the way, that is why I call myself your dad. Okay, so why is it called oology? Why are there so many goddamn O's in this word? Okay, comes from one guess. Yes, the Greek for ion meaning egg, and it's a branch of ornithology that deals with eggs. I want to think that the OO in oology is just because them O's look like little eggies, but that's not true. Okay, so this interview, what a what a treat. Okay, I was in Chicago for a few days, and I reached out to the Wonderland, that is the Field Museum, via the Brain Scoop's Emily Grasley. Hey, girl. And they hooked me up. So not only did they give me a quiet room to record the epidemiology episode with the errands of This Podcast Will Kill You, but they were also like, yo, we got an egg dude for you. So Kate Golombeski, I owe you like 10 puppies. Uh, Kate met me at the field, and she walked me through the ornithology lab. Whoa. Hi! <laughs> so many jars. Up some steps. You know what I didn't realize, also, is that this museum is so big that our commute from one office to the other. Yes. That's a good 10 minute commute. I should have left a trail of breadcrumbs. To the office of an expert in bird babies, this kind faced a spectacled gentleman with thick salt and pepper hair and a desk piled with egg books and field notes. But it was a Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. and I just hated to keep him from his weekend. So some of the question and answers are super rapid fire. But then we had such a jolly time hanging out that afterwards he offered to give me a tour of the egg bunker. And hell yes, I took him up on that. So throughout the interview, there are audio notes from that tour as we continued to just gab in the stacks. So this episode is just a feast of facts about speckly eggs and outlaw birders and falcon mysteries and vaults of delicate treasures and can you eat cookie dough and modern research done with old artifacts, and there's some Easter bullshit, and chicken hatching, even snake trivia. It's got it all, so buckle up. All right, let's settle our feathers and ready ourselves for the ornithological treasures of oologist Dr. John Bates. For talking about eggs with me are you technically an oologist
1: no I am not
0: what not an oologist he literally edited the book of eggs it's called the book of eggs and his name is on the cover like not an oologist he studies bird eggs okay I gotta breathe. Okay, more on this situation in a minute. But he is definitely an evolutionary biologist slash ornithologist and officially an associate curator of birds and head of the life sciences division at the Field Museum in Chicago. What or what do you study about birds? Do you study particular like eggs of different species? Feathers, beaks? Like what's your bag? Well, I'm
1: a I'm a curator, and so so we have one of the world's greatest collections of birds here in the museum. And so uh, one of the things I've been interested in over the years is all aspects of avian biology. But the egg part actually came about because we have an egg collection, and I feel like it's my responsibility to know something about eggs.
0: So after the interview at his desk, John took me down this labyrinth into the bowels of the museum, just stuffed with millions of scientific artifacts. Like, for real, actually... Millions of artifacts. What you see on displays at museums is this laughably small representation of their actual shit. They have in files and drawers and boxes behind the scenes. So behind these scenes, we came upon a room labeled "egg collection," to which John had the keys. Wow! So this is our egg collection. Ah! What? This looks like a like a (laughs) bank bunker. They really look like you're breaking into a bank vault.
1: They do. Yeah.
0: Oh my God! So how many specimens in this room? Like a
1: so so probably probably about a hundred thousand eggs. <gasps>
0: wow. But now. Why do you say you're not an oologist even though you study bird eggs?
1: Yeah, that's because basically I don't know if you could find anybody who would describe themselves as an oologist anymore. It's a it's a field that's a, it's a, it's an extinctology at some really? level, which is too bad. That's actually one of the things that we're interested in some colleagues and I are interested in. We're actually working on a paper right now trying to to encourage people to to remember and that is that, that there's these incredible collections of eggs around the world. And a lot of times, they're pretty underutilized. They're, the people tend to forget they're there. Um, so oology was really popular in the 1880s into the 1920s or so. And then it, it, it died out. And some of that was because people were a little bit concerned that there might be issues with respect to collecting eggs in terms of the population biology, affecting the population biology of birds and things. And so, so it was kind of uh, fell out of favor with a lot of people.
0: So, okay, so, oology can mean the study of eggs, but it can also refer to the hobby of collecting wild bird eggs, also called egging. Now, at some point, these amateur egg scholars stopped egging because it became illegal. People were like, well, you are stealing babies. Now, Wikipedia says, and I quote, Despite this, some of those who engage in egg collecting show considerable recidivism. That is legal speak for doing bad shit again, like chasing the dragon egg. Wikipedia continues. One, Colin Watson was convicted six times before he fell to his death in 2006 while attempting to climb to a nest high up in a tree. Another individual has been convicted nine times and imprisoned twice. And a third has been convicted 51 times, imprisoned four times, and barred from entering Scotland During the breeding season, people are addicted to egg collecting. Also, one historical amateur ornithologist, Charles Bendire, whose stash of 8,000 formed the base of the Smithsonian's egg collection, climbed a tree for some hobbyist egg thievery and was rightfully, if you ask me, shot at. And scared away, but escaped climbing down the tree with a raptor egg in his mouth. And the egg was so big that he had to, and was willing to, rather, have his teeth broken to get it out of his mouth, like a cloaca face. So these were the oologists of yore. Perhaps that's why the term fell out of favor.
1: But then the other thing that happened was you had the advent of things like cameras. And and suddenly, you know, people, you could make an argument that you didn't need the specimen per se, uh, if you could take a picture of the eggs.
0: So do you think that if you're not out actively collecting and studying eggs, then you're not an oologist?
1: Well, I think it's, so so I like to describe it actually as, as in an interesting way, I think, from the perspective of humans, which is that in some level, it's like, pediatrics, right? Mm-hmm. So here's this field where people study children. And this is a field where people studied eggs, but it's a specialization within pediatrics, right? They spent a specific thing. And and I think that in part, it was just because collecting eggs kind of literally fell out of favor. And yeah. so so the, uh, the terminology actually fell by the wayside at some point.
0: I think it's time to resurrect it.
1: I mean, that's actually... I mean, there's a lot of science that can be done with eggs
0: yeah so tell me about the collection you have and what do you like about eggs because I feel like you have to be into them in order to study them I think aptitude is backed by passion I'm guessing so what is it about about birds and bird eggs that you really that you love or that you're drawn to
1: so what I'd say I think it's interesting to say I mean eggs themselves are just Beautiful things in in nature, for one thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you look at these collections, you start realizing that that they're incredibly valuable pieces of our understanding of early natural history. So one of the things I always like to say to people is that, you know, you go back to our collections of bird specimens from the 1880s, a lot of times they have very little information on them. But with the egg collections, it's very common for them to have these detailed nest cards, which describe exactly when the person found the nest, how many eggs were in it, what kind of tree it was in, very detailed locality information. And so these guys were actually collecting really excellent natural history data, probably 10 to 20 to 30 years earlier than a lot of the specimen collectors were. So it's a very incredible data. As a matter of fact, one of the things we're trying to do right now is work on various projects where we can use these data to look at what's going on today.
0: So it's kind of like... Thank you for the nest plundering back then, you monocled derelicts. But yeah, no, we don't do that now. That's not a pastime. Let's just play video games or scroll through pictures of other people's vacations on a tiny screen. But the dates in all of those amateur egg collections are very helpful.
1: So, for instance, we can look at uh, nest laying dates for birds in the Midwest and ask the question, if we have data from modern birds on when they were at laying and this is based on field observations from some of my colleagues um we can look at individual species and ask the question are bird populations in the Chicago region laying their eggs at different times than they were historically and it mm-hmm. looks like there's a there's The dates of laying have advanced, actually, which is consistent with some of the potential uh, issues that you'd expect uh, due to climate change.
0: Right. So climate change is a biggie, as are the effects of pesticides and pollutants. So one huge detective story is often cited when the topic of vintage eggs comes up.
1: You know, when I show this to people and I talk about why we have these collections, one of my favorite examples is, you know, peregrine falcon eggs. So, wow. so these were collected in the 1890s oh in God. North Dakota. Wow! And peregrine falcons in the 1960s, along with ospreys and and bald eagles, had their populations plummeted, and and peregrine falcons actually went extinct in eastern North America, and. What was going on is they weren't having any reproductive success, and it was because every time females laid eggs, they would start sitting on them to incubate them, they would crack. Cool. And scientists thought that this pesticide, DDT, was causing eggshell thinning. Mm. And one of the big pieces of evidence that led them to ban DDT in the U.S. was a study by these guys named Hickey and Anderson, where they went in and they measured pre-DDT egg eggshell <laughs> thickness in these birds with post-eggshell, post-1960, uh, during the DDT era mm-hmm. use, and they were able to show that they were demonstrably thinner in a bunch of the key areas. Wow. And, and so it was a great scientific design that was possible because they had access to these collections. Yeah. And what I always like to point out is that, you know, this guy that collected these things, this guy Forsyth in, in 1917, had no idea that 40, 50 years later his eggs you know, would be used for a study right. like that. And so,
0: so it's so cool to see current research being done on specimens that have been collected 100 years exactly. ago. Exactly. So just think. Some of the science that you do today might help future generations to study, like, which plants existed before the robots that we download our consciousness into took over the earth and mined all the gold to make toilets and then darken the sky with clean coal emissions. Is that too dark? Sorry. When they would collect the eggs, would they blow the eggs out or would they just rot? What was happening? Would yeah. they ho- Okay, they'd hollow them out?
1: Yeah, so yeah. Right, so uh, yes, they would put a l- drill a little hole in them, and it it was a it was a real art. I mean, mm-hmm. they were really good at it, and they would carefully inject a little bit of air. And once you do that, you can blow the contents out of a very small hole, and you're left with the egg shell. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you explain to me how an egg is formed? Because it is kind of odd to be like, "Hi, I'm a bird. I'm soft, I'm fluffy, and then boink." There's this hard thing that comes out of your cloaca. Yeah. Like, what um, is it?
1: Yeah, basically, you you the the female. Has this developing ovum in her oviduct, and it, mm-hmm. it goes down, and there's a glands that produce the the shell material, and it gradually rotates and forms, and you get the production of this perfectly layered, hard uh, and yet thin thing covering that developing embryo in an incredible way. That, that, and then, and then there are all kinds of interesting things that happen after that with respect to. Making the eggs colorful or spotted or things like that.
0: Yeah. So is it like layers on a jawbreaker, like layer after layer of like this calcium, or is it like one layer of shell that happens at once?
1: Yeah. No. It's it's a it's my understanding of it is it's a layer thing, and, mm-hmm. and they actually as they're going down the 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 oviduct, the shell gland is actually putting it layering on that material, so that that when it comes out, it's it's a perfectly formed egg.
0: And then, where is the airbrushing station in the oviduct? Like, when or where are they putting on the speckles and like the robin egg blue colors?
1: It's done in the as it's passing along through the the cloaca and in and, and the oviduct, and and there are these melanin producing glands that or uh, cells that will actually make the color. But that's something that actually some of the aspects of that are still debated by scientists. We don't know how some colors on certain types of eggs are are made.
0: And I understand like. Okay, so we're surrounded by these like beautiful posters of eggs, and I understand eggs that look like granite. Boom, is it a is it an egg or a rock? I don't know. I can't tell. I'm not going to eat it. I get it. But like a bright blue robin's egg in a in a green tree, what's happening there? That seems so conspicuous. Yeah.
1: So so, quick answer: we don't know. Okay. Right. But uh, there there are these eggs. If if I showed you uh, eggs of tinamous, which are these uh, neotropical birds that that. Uh, bunch of species. They look like little chickens that run around in either forest or an open country. And they lay these incredibly enameled eggs that can be anywhere from blue to brown to green. And they're just just incredibly enameled. And, and we don't know why they do that. Wow. And one hypothesis, which is kind of crazy, would be just they wanted to look so weird that no predator would look at that and go, <laughs> yeah, that's something we should eat.
0: And they wanted to look like a like a weird toy or a piece of ceramic or something. Like, nah.
1: Yeah, because I mean, they they literally don't look like anything you would find in nature.
0: So down in the oo vault, John showed me another egg that looked like a prop. Like, no way did a bird butt make this. Oh my god, are you kidding me?
1: These are these common nests, uh, eggs. Yeah, <gasps> so this cliff nester. And you can see these are from Ireland, and they would have been laid by different females, such that the female could actually individually recognize each egg. And you can see these things like all these little squiggles come from the
0: mm-hmm.
1: the egg twisting as it's coming down the wow. the oviduct, and
0: it looks like um you just took a sharpie or a marker yeah. to them. It looks like you you let your like four-year-old nephew color them in. You know what I mean? But like, or Jackson Pollock. Oh, my God, they're gorgeous, yeah. though.
1: You can see this one sat for a while. and
0: Oh, inside of the oviduct?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yep, inside the oviduct, and, and so it gets...
0: It gets more of that speckling. Right,
1: exactly. From wow,
0: life. from those cells. That's so... I never knew that's how it happened. I mean, that's so crazy to think of it twisting and turning and making those marks. So just squiggling down... The bird butt canal getting a streaky paint job on the way. It's so delicately, magically gross and beautiful. And what about egg shape? Why why are they the shape that they are?
1: So that's an interesting uh, question that's been studied and published on fairly recently. And the, one of the hypotheses is that it's uh, related to body shape at some point. Um, eggs a lot. I mean, eggs have a fairly defined shape for the most part, but they're really interesting aspects of certain eggs. So, for instance, eggs of some of the um, birds that breed on cliffs, like common mirrors and things, are these long pointed, have a thick base and then a long pointed tip. And and one of the hypotheses has been that they've evolved that way because they're on a cliff face. And if you roll that egg on a cliff face, it'll just roll in a tight little circle because of its shape. Now, some other people have come along and said, no, that's not what's going on. But but that's a plausible explanation for that egg shape.
0: And do you eat eggs? I do eat eggs. Okay. So you're not like, you don't have a, a situation where you're like, oh, I can't do yeah, it. Right. No. Um, is it bad for us to eat chicken eggs?
1: So I always like to say that, that my pediatrician used to flip back and forth every year I went to him. Oh, which really? drove my mom crazy. Like he would come in and say, eggs are good for your son. Mm-hmm. Good. Nope. Next year, eggs are bad for you.
0: So side note, I was like, yeah, what's up with eggs having this like big reputation? So in 1968, the American Heart Association advised people not to have more than three egg yolks per week. It's like eggs are canceled. Unfollow eggs on Twitter. Do not invite them to breakfast. And then years later, some news came out that was like eggs are fine. And then in the last few years, this new cholesterol kills campaign came out. And that's done by an organization called The Truth about eggs. But that turns out to be a vegan advocacy group. So I turned to official science papers for some sanity. And there was one about how eggs have gotten such a bad rap, and seriously, they are fine. And I was like, okay, cool. Science paper, I trust you. And then I scrolled down to the author bio of this science paper, and he worked for the egg industry. Good. God eggs, how is your PR more complicated than the JFK assassination? This is like of the mob specialized in brunch scrambles. I cannot keep track. So I guess if you're at risk for heart disease, consult your physician and read some papers and pay attention to who's writing the papers. I may be your weird uncle, but I am no doctor. Well, John is technically a doctor, but I'm not an MD. Not that you'll be making a bunch of omelets now, I'm sorry, but if you were, you'd have to break some eggs. But what if it's a museum egg and you're an oologist? Have you ever broken an egg and been like, oh, shit.
1: Well, so so the quick answer is no, but...
0: Back in the cool egg dungeon, John withdraws a drawer slowly and he tells me a tale of a thousand cringes.
1: One of the greatest curators of birds at the Field Museum, a guy named Mel Trailer, mm-hmm. apparently pulled this drawer out at one point too far and dropped it. <laughs> And so even the greatest people can make mistakes. Now, the oh, truth of the matter is, no. it looks bad, but you're not really losing it. You're not
0: losing the data, but you know, still. It's, it's
1: just, I'm, I, can, I don't even imagine what, what it was like the day that that happened.
0: What kind of words do you think came out of his I, mouth?
1: He was an incredible gentleman, so oh I bet he swore quite a bit. Oh my yeah. God, no, that is like,
0: devastating. Yeah. And so what has been the rarest or most beautiful specimen that you've seen?
1: So, I think some of the, the coolest eggs in the world are, are belong to a bird called the gira cuckoo from South America, and they're okay. these incredible eggs that they lay in big numbers. They, they're they cooperative breeders, and I'm not exactly sure. Some of their relatives actually have multiple females on the same territory, and they'll, they'll actually throw eggs out on average, and, but they'll end up with a mixed nest of multiple eggs of different females. and. These guys have so they'll have up to ten or twelve eggs in the nest, and they start off with this white uh, powder, but around them, but it's a blue egg, and so over time the blue wears off, and it wears off in this kind of patchwork fashion that just gives it a really beautiful color Ooh. to them.
0: So they have almost like an like an opposite patina, almost.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh wow!
0: So later on the tour, I got a chance to see these bad boys, and they're this lovely minty aqua color, like a tourmaline blue with white patterns overlaid and it was like a gaspathon. they're gorgeous i mean they look like ceramics we just don't ever have an opportunity to see a lot of these right you know ever because when are you going to come across a cliff nest or you know something that's 30 feet off the ground hidden behind leaves so that gira cuckoo with the gorgeous eggs is sneaky and she leaves them in nests that are not hers A bunch of cuckoo birds do this and then their babies hatch and then they bump out the other babies and the parents just don't even seem to notice that all of their babies are gone and they now have one giant baby that does not look like them. Such gossip. And then this bamboozlery happens with other species, of course.
1: These are uh, annies, mm-hmm. which are these blackbirds from the tropics, which are cuckoo relatives, and so they're. And these are these ones that have these nests that multiple females in the group will, will, will uh, lay in,
0: mm-hmm. like daycare. And,
1: yeah, with the caveat being that apparently there's a, a older female that'll come along and throw most of the eggs out over time, and and then. Lay most of hers in there, oh, but not God. on. So, anyways,
0: what a bitch! Are there any eggs that you know of that are like so valuable, monetarily wise? Like, are there any that are like under glass and?
1: Well, if I if I told you not,
0: yeah, that's true. So you the, would the, have no, to actually, kill me.
1: We have a we have a plaster cast downstairs of a of an elephant bird from Madagascar, which is a a bird that was these one of these giant flightless things that was living in Madagascar up until the time the first humans got there. And and the beaches in Madagascar, some places are littered with small pieces of of elephant bird eggshell. And there are a few elephant bird eggs that have been found whole. And a lot of those are in museums. And my understanding is those are worth sometimes upwards of thirty dollars to
0: $50,000. Okay, so that price checks out. Now, the elephant bird went extinct somewhere between the 1300s and the 1800s. Nobody knows, but it was probably because of humans. I think we all pretty much know that. Now, bigger than a basketball, these huge foot-long eggs have sold at auction for more than $100,000, which is pretty expensive. It's a lot of cash to shell out. Okay, I'm going to stop cracking these yolks. (laughs) Please don't reject me. Okay, so these elephant bird eggs, there's a list on Wikipedia of the different museums that have them in collections, and there are less than 40 intact specimens at institutions around the world. But recently added to the list, just a few months ago, the Buffalo Museum of Science For years, they thought that this precious behemoth was just like a plaster model. And then they were like, you know what? Let's get it x-rayed. Turns out it's the real deal. They were like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. We're rich if we decide to sell it. But mostly we're going to hang on to it because it's cool for science and stuff. I think that's what they said. That's a lot of money for an egg. But think
1: how many omelets those things would have made. So
0: many omelets, which is probably why they're extinct.
1: Exactly right.
0: Um, What's the biggest egg you have ever cracked? I once tried to eat an emu egg and it, it required a hacksaw. Was it any good? It was very rich. It was huge. It was overwhelming. But we whipped it up and made an omelet and it was like the most buttery kind of fatty tasting one, but it it was like huge. It looked like a giant avocado.
1: Yeah, so I, I have to admit that that most of my time has been spent with chicken eggs in terms mm-hmm. of actually cooking and eating. So so I'm trying to think if I've ever actually, I don't think I ever have actually um, eaten another bird's egg.
0: Species? Not even a, I once Not even had, a
1: duck or a, yeah. Really?
0: Oh. I once had deviled quail's eggs, uh-huh. which was weird. I just felt like a giant because they're so little. But um, how do you take your eggs?
1: Uh, o- over easy.
0: So does that mean uh, runny yolk? Yeah. I, why does that gross me out, but it doesn't gross other people out? Should well, I be grossed out?
1: It's, it's supposed to soak up what's in the, what's left in the plate. If you've got potatoes on the plate, it like mm-hmm. makes the potatoes taste better.
0: I don't know. why. I don't know why. There's something that grosses me out about it. Okay, so another thing that grosses people out, the calaza. Now, these two coily white threads that are attached to the yolk, what are they? What are they? Okay, they're just nothing much, just ropes of protein. They're actually markers of a fresh egg since they kind of disappear as it ages. But why are they there? Like tiny, slimy party streamers. Well, they suspend the yolk in the middle of the egg, kind of like the slingshot ride at the county fair. But depending on how you personally feel about Egg protein squiggles and carnival rides, one may have more screaming than the other. Also, side note oh my god, I just went down a hole watching a compilation of like GoPro footage of couples on the slingshot ride, and it was horrifying and so so amusing and I only know from the gelatology episode that it's funny because we know that like everyone is safe in the end but oh my god watching adults screaming for their moms on carnival rides is something else wow oh my god also never ever going on that ever okay back to egg boogers I need to get over it because other people seem to love it but for some reason the yolk the yolk is what the chick eats inside the egg correct or is the yolk the chick?
1: The yolk is is the is what it's going to eat. Okay. So, yeah.
0: So that's that would be the baby chick's food. So I should be okay with eating that, right? I, right.
1: Yeah, except that, of course, that's the stuff that my pediatrician was always worried about every other year.
0: The cholesterol yeah. and stuff. Um, when you're cracking hard-boiled eggs, do you have a better strategy because you understand the mechanics and the anatomy of eggs?
1: No, that's one of those things that you just go for. <laughs> Literally, like, I, I think, and it's a satisfying thing because it's... In the end, you have something, like, solid in your hand that you can eat.
0: Okay, so if you're like, I'm a grown-ass person and I can't boil eggs, right? Well, number one, why are you reciting passages from my diary? And two, I just looked up some tips. And apparently, here are some pointers, according to French chef Jacques Pepin. Okay, take a thumbtack, if you got one. Puncture the egg in the round butt end, right? And then gently boil them not too high for 10 minutes. Drain. You kind of very gingerly crack the shells, but keep them on and then submerge in an ice bath for 15 minutes. If you still think that you screwed up because the shells stick to the egg, well, whew, boy, howdy. Hot tip from old dad here. The older eggs peel better. Fresh eggs, terrible at peeling. This has Nothing to do with your performance as an egg boiler. This is all about the shell being porous and the egg white, or also called the albumin, getting less acidic. Also, egg white will shrink with time, making the whole thing easier to peel. That also means that the little air pocket at the butt of an egg gets larger as it ages. So fresh eggs will sink, older ones will float. So boiling an egg, once left only to wizards, You now hold the power in your hands.
1: I think actually cracking raw eggs is more of an an artistic technique that I've never fully developed.
0: I know. The people that can do one in each hand.
1: Yeah, those people. It's like,
0: how do you learn that? Masters. They should be oologists, to be honest. They need to take up the term as well. And now, how many eggs do you guys have at the Field Museum in collections? So
1: the actual number is probably on the order of about 100,000.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: but, but see, so the interesting thing about eggs is in collections like this is not the number of eggs individually. It's the number of sets of eggs. Oh. And so we have about 20,000... Sets of eggs, which means that they're the the eggs are uh, laid by a, a given female at a given time, and there's a, a what's called clutch size, which is how many eggs they've they've laid for that nest, and and that's actually a truly interesting thing about avian biology because there's lots of variation. So we were talking about those elephant birds,
0: mm-hmm.
1: clutch size in elephant birds was two, right? Which is, like you said, that's probably why there's no elephant birds left, right? If you think about it, ostriches are another big flightless bird, and they have clutch sizes where a single, actually multiple females lay in the same nest, but there will be upwards of 20 eggs in a nest because oh, wow. each female lays 10 to 11. Mm-hmm. And they're basically just hed- hedging their bets with respect to producing their young, mm-hmm. because a lot of them are going to get picked off by predators over time.
0: Ooh, okay. Quick aside, what does an ostrich nest look like? I bet it's like an elaborately woven papasan chair, just a swirl of delicate wicker holding all these eggy treasures. Now, I looked it up and what? It's, it's just a sloppy pile of eggs on the ground and a communal pile at that. There's no weaving There's no mud structure, no bird spun basket. It's just, it is the laziest shit you have ever seen. Like if you and four of your housemates folded your athletic socks into balls and then tossed them all in the middle of the room. Only those large socks were your children and your roommate's ass was incubating them. Well, you're out drinking margaritas from a bird bath. Ostriches, all the other birds look up to you because you were literally nine feet tall. Can you get it together? Okay. So how do they lay them? And now they also have super thick shells because they have to drop like 12 feet from an ostrich's cloaca to the ground, right? Not quite 12 feet, but you know what I mean. No, I'll but no, bet
1: the ostrich actually lays them oh, yeah? sitting down. Yeah, okay. for the most part. But they are really thick and like they're used by Bushmen of the Kalahari to store water in. Oh my gosh. What a cool purse. Yeah.
0: I mean, talking about a clutch, that would be quite an evening clutch. That's what they call little evening handbags. You're like, ta-da, it's an egg.
1: I'd be willing to bet that's been done.
0: Just FYI, yes, it has been done. So Etsy, Pinterest, eBay, all just brimming with ostrich egg purses, usually starting around several thousand dollars. But I did find one woman in Hemet, California, who has a side hustle called eggbags.com. She makes them for $350, roughly, because she's just really drawn to the art of egg decor, it seems. So if you wanted to get yourself something very ornately fancy, just to like toss in some chapsticks, a granola bar the keys to your rental Hyundai, egg purses are available. You know what, be that person, why not? We're only here for so long. Is there any flim flam about eggs that you'd like to debunk? Any myths about eggs that you're like, that is not how it is? Myths about eggs? That bunnies don't lay them, despite Easter. No, they they
1: don't. That's absolutely true.
0: Do you love springtime because of the egg imagery, or are you like... Come on, guys.
1: No, because it gets really weird because of the bunny aspect of it. I think that confuses the biology. I think think Easter egg hunting is great. I think Easter egg dying is great. The whole bunny aspect of it really gets messed up. Right. (laughs) I don't know how that
0: happened. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, to your faces, how it happened. So, Well, it's debated, but some historians think Easter came from the Germanic mythological goddess of springtime, Oestra who may have healed a wounded bird that she found in the woods by changing it into a bunny. And then the bunny was like, dude, thank you, and laid her an egg because the bunny was like, I still have a bird bud, sis. So modern holiday traditions for Easter have roots in the Jewish Passover holiday alongside some sprinkles of pagan fun for the spring equinox, which then made me wonder, why is Easter such a floater of a holiday? I never know what it is. And in Western Christianity, it always falls on – you ready for this? the Sunday between March 22nd and April 25th, typically the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or after the spring equinox. Whatever, you have a Google calendar, we can all use it. Anyway, bunnies dropping eggs brings us to Dayananda, where rabbits are, I think, invasive, and so they celebrate with Easter billabies, which is like a shrew-faced marsupial. I want a pet on the head. Com- but how do you feel about platypi? And mammals that lay a duck- Oh, build. see,
1: that's that's cool because they're just trying to be birds,
0: right? Well, how did they even? How did that even come about?
1: That's a good question. from an evolutionary standpoint, it would be potentially a real, uh, retained characteristic from their ancestry with reptiles.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, reptiles were were they the OG when it comes to egg laying? And then, I mean, because birds, reptiles, similar evolutionary pathway, dinosaurs.
1: I mean, birds are dinosaurs. Yeah, birds are so, dinosaurs. So, so we're looking at just, I think birds are just better dinosaurs.
0: I think, I mean, they, it's funny because for so long, it's like dinosaurs are in, extinct. And they're like, no, they're not. There's a pigeon. Done. It's down. boom. Also, where do pigeons have nests?
1: They nest on little ledges and stuff. But, but that's a really great observation because as many pigeons as there are in like the city of Chicago, right? I almost never see a nest. And then the other thing is that so they're a, a, uh, the that group of birds. So the, the Columbidae, the, the family that they belong to, they lay clutches of two. That's the only. Oh. That's their total number. And so you would think like if you're laying two cl- eggs on a ledge. Any predator could come down and eat those things. Yeah. And they're not particularly tough birds. So how do... Why are there so many pigeons?
0: I don't know. I have a theory that maybe they just asexually bud and a feather falls off and then a whole another pigeon sprouts around it.
1: And the the only thing I would say that argues against that is I could show you pigeon eggs in our collection. So we know they do it.
0: Dang it. There was once... I lived in an apartment building and a pigeon got inside and... I did see a pigeon build a nest inside on the carpet. And I told my landlords, I was like, yo, there's a pigeon like inside, like on the carpet. And they're like, "Mm, leave it alone. And I was like, what about bird mites? I feel like we need to worry about that. Like, can we scoot it? So I did see one pigeon nest once, but it was like one foot away from my door inside on a carpet. And that it was just all kinds of wrong. And did you see any pigeon mites? No, but I think I moved before. Last thing I needed was bird cooties. Uh, In case you think I'm five and just slandering birds, bird cooties are an actual thing, I promise. So World War One soldiers, they took the melee word for lice, which was kutu, and they mashed it with the species, coot, thought to be real dirty birds. So bird mites are a real thing and they can infect a house if you have, say, pigeons in the attic. And they leave the nest and then the mites go downstairs to peek in the fridge for a snack. But instead of the fridge, it's your body. You are the snack. Now, I've known two separate couples who have had bird mite infestations. One of them, longtime friend, and it truly was one of the worst things she's ever been through. And she was in a body cast during puberty, you guys. Now, the other couple said they would rather have been haunted by a dozen poltergeists than contend with invisible biting things. So if you see a pigeon in your house, you point to the door or a window because they can fly. Do you that's know what a, I mean? That's
1: a whole nother... You should... You, you can do a whole nother ology on oh. on parasitology
0: because birds have mites
1: oh they, we, we actually go into the field now and and we do an active job of trying to collect them because they're they're co-evolving with the birds essentially and so there's wow. some really interesting questions you can ask with mites
0: do you get a lot of gifts that have eggs on them do people say I saw this and I thought of you
1: I do because we we, we did a we did a book of eggs and so it's people kind of know that I've worked yeah
0: how many books about eggs do you own in reference?
1: so i i benefit by being in a place that has a where our bird library is right down the hall nice. and that means i don't have to buy as many books on eggs i can actually just <laughs> go down and surreptitiously grab them off the shelf and and check them out and then the librarians have to come track me down to get them back
0: You're like, you're not too far, though. I mean, and who's going to make better use of a book about eggs than you?
1: Well, that's my argument. Exactly. But but when somebody else wants it, they need to be able to find me.
0: Did you ever have to do the thing in high school where they gave you an egg and they're like, don't break it. This is what parenthood is like. Did they ever make you do that? No,
1: I never did that.
0: Yeah, they would. I think they used to do that to scare to scare teenagers away from like becoming parents too early is they'd be like, you have to take care of this egg for a week. And if you break it, you fail or whatever. So I just looked this up. And in some schools now, they give you a 10 pound sack of flour because it's similar, I guess, to carrying around an actual baby. If the baby were perfectly still and silent and only emitted soft puffs of edible powdered excretions. So other programs, since this is not 1832 will hook you up with a screaming peeing infant doll to contend with just all as a lesson to say hey kids we know having intercourse with bae is on fleek and you want a yolo but consider some bomb-ass protection so you don't become a teen parent who has to carry around a small alive screaming person with your face so i think it used to be like a which i feel like taking care of an unfertilized chicken egg is a lot easier than an infant, but what do I know?
1: So, you know, now that you mentioned it, the one thing I remember like that is was day camp and doing egg tosses.
0: Oh, right. And,
1: like, I was always one of those kids that didn't want to break the egg. <laughs> yeah. I did not want to do it. Some kids didn't care. I. Did not want to break the egg. You had an
0: early appreciation. Now, if you bought a fertilized chicken egg, like from Whole Foods, because you believed that for some reason fertilized chicken eggs were better, could you take it home, put it on a heating blanket, and have some chicks in a couple weeks?
1: Good question. Uh, I don't know. uh, Yeah. And I wouldn't want to find out, actually, to be honest with you. What are you going to do with the chickens? Yeah, exactly. If it worked, and and I wouldn't buy fertilized chicken eggs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What is... (laughs) What is the difference of when you're eating a, an egg being fertilized or not? It
1: could be taste or something. I mean, okay. I, I think, but again, I don't have any intention of finding out anytime soon.
0: I looked this up and apparently you can hatch chickens from fertilized eggs from like Trader Joe's, provided they're pretty fresh and actually fertilized. So how can you tell? Okay, let's get into some super quick egg anatomy. Okay, so the egg white or albumin is mostly water and some protein and it serves to protect and feed the chicky. Now the yolk is higher in protein and fat and it really nourishes the growing baby burb. And the color of a yolk can really vary depending on what a bird has been eating. So grain diets probably lead to like lighter yolks, but backyard hens munching on like table scraps and carrot peelings might have like bright orange yolks. So We already learned that the calaza are those springy protein slingshot rides that keep it all stable inside. Now, to see if a yolk is fertilized, you have to break the egg. So you get a whole carton and crack a few, and then you'll know if the rest are, like, down to hatch. Now, of the ones you test crack, look for a white spot on the yolk. If it's small and round, that's called a blastodisc, and that is not, in fact, fertilized that is a dud. Now, if the white spot on the yolk is more of a bullseye pattern, then that is a blastoderm and the start of a chicken. So note, do not crack the eggs of the ones you want to hatch, just in case that was unclear. You just want to test a few in the carton, shed a tiny tear, and eat them, incubate the others. Have you heard of balut? Hi. Sorry. Me again. Just with another quick necessary aside. So Balut, what is it? Southeast Asian snack often consumed with beer. It consists of a boiled duck egg. So what's the big deal? Oh, also the duck egg was fertile and the baby duck has been developing for two to three weeks. It has like bones and a beak and stuff. Just all boiled and eaten. But a reminder, lobster was once served as prison food because the idea of eating a sea cockroach was considered disgusting and punishment. And I don't even know what's in nacho cheese, but I could eat it all day long. And balut apparently has its roots in luxury, too, and I read that it is the street food in the Philippines at night, and it's served warm. It has kind of an unctuous, brothy liquid on top, and the yolk is said to be creamy like a custard, and I asked a listener who's had it. They say it's not too crunchy. Also, you don't have to eat the crunchy bits, but it seems like every culture has its celebrated foods that are maybe difficult conceptually from haggis to my Italian relatives feasting on pig feet. And it's all just a matter of familiarity and perspective. If you offered many an American and intestine stuffed with frappied pig buttholes, they might say, No, thank you. But zing, that's what hot dogs are. Also, I had a really great and illuminating conversation with one listener named Jackie in Boston who reminded me that our cavalier food fears could sow real and harmful xenophobia. And also our Asian American friends know this all too well right now. So a friendly reminder from Jackie to try new foods and to keep your brain and your hearts wide open. And to all the Asian oligites, we love you and we see you and it's on all of us to stand up for each other. And to protect each other from the effects of ignorance. And to quote the wonderful Dr. Merlin Tuttle of the Chiropterology episode, people fear most what they understand the least. Now, if you have ever eaten a fertilized egg, I will say from the grocery store, you've also eaten balut. Just very, very underripe, if you will. I have some questions from listeners. Can I ask you?
1: Yes, you can. Okay.
0: Um, some of them are from my dad. Hi, dad. But before we get to your questions, a quick word about sponsors of the show. And since this is an encore presentation back in 2018, we didn't have sponsors and we weren't able to donate to causes, but now we can. So in honor of Dr. John Bates, we're sending some cash to the Field Museum to continue their excellent education and outreach and research. And that was made possible by some companies that I genuinely This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com ologies. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And y'all know I have a little dog named Grammy, which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas, but Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and home style recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it, it's mine. I also like that on the bag they show what's in it and they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Grammy appreciates that. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. yum. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kid busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your Summer Adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at k-i-w-i-c-o dot slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. <gasps> That's qince.com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. qince.com slash ologies. Like? Okay, Patreon questions. But this first question, though, is from Neil Williams, and it's a good one. One that has plagued me ever since songwriter Joe Raposo posed it on Sesame Street. Oh, which the chicken on the egg? Chicken or the egg? What came first? Yeah,
1: good question. Uh,
0: I mean, I guess the egg. It's
1: it's, it's funny because if you look at chicken as a common name Mm -hmm. for gallus gallus, which is a bird, Mm -hmm. and dinosaurs, the ancestors of chickens, laid eggs, then the egg came before the chicken in a sense. Yes.
0: We figured it out. There we go. God, uh, everything in my life is so much easier You're now. You're
1: going to get a lot of letters about that.
0: I Well, and you know what? I'll be like, why don't you Email. consult an oologist? I have one. He's right here. <laughs> Jerry Davis wants to know, are there any eggs that are poisonous to eat?
1: Wow, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I The, uh, the quick answer to that's no, not that I can think of. We were just talking about some of the... Th- Today, some of the other, you know, like there's a, a bird uh, that was found to be poisonous in New Guinea called a pitahui, Ooh. but it, it's it's because it eats beetles and is able to sequester the poisons, but its eggs, I don't think, would be poisonous. Oh,
0: good to know. Way to go, pitahui. Pitahuis, by the way, look like pretty just russet-colored songbirds, like ones you'd see in the garden, but they use the same toxin as poison dart frogs so they're kind of like if you found out your aunt was an assassin Pitahooey. Pitahooey. Spencer toth wants to know is a breakfast chicken egg really only one cell yes really yep it's one cell yep where's the nucleus and the ribosomes and the organelles and stuff
1: so they're 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 there and <gasps> I mean this is like the yeah
0: I guess that makes sense because of like any egg that a female, of any species produces is right. one cell. is one cell. Oh, that's weird. Oh, I've never thought about that. Um, that's awesome. Brooke Bassone wants to know, what's the smallest egg in the world? Is it a hummingbird?
1: It'll be, it'll be one of the hummingbirds. And, and there are enough small hummingbirds that probably have similar to size eggs. The smallest hummingbird in the world is a bee hummingbird from Cuba. Ooh. And then, you know, the amazing thing there is they have clutch sizes of two. and. The egg of a bee hummingbird would take up a large amount of the, you know, as we said, it's one cell and it's a large amount of the internal space in a, in a female bee hummingbird. So Is it
0: just like the size of a Tic Tac? Bigger than that. It,
1: it actually looks very much like a Tic Tac. That's exactly what you think.
0: I got a chance to see some on the vault tour. And yep, they're just like a skosh larger than a Tic Tac, but way smaller than a Mento. They are 0% refreshing. Do not eat them on a date.
1: So here are the chicklets. That's a black-chinned hummingbird from from Arizona. Oh, my gosh. Those are tiny.
0: I've definitely eaten breath mints larger than that. Exactly. Oh, my God. How cute and
1: tiny. Which reminds me of an old joke from when I was a kid, which was, what did the hummingbird say when he laid an ostrich egg? When she laid an ostrich egg? What? Ouch.
0: (laughs) That actually segues perfectly into Katie Cobb's question. Here's a stupid question. Does laying an egg hurt? like it hurts for a woman human woman to give birth but we don't do it a few times a week.
1: Yeah, I was I was actually looking as I prep for this and mm-hmm. and you know, our modern chickens we eat 5 billion eggs a year Oof. in the US alone. Wow. And and the average chicken produces like 360 or something. Yeah,
0: like almost daily, right?
1: Yeah, I mean just like it's incredible. And so does it hurt? I mean I don't know. It's not the same as childbirth in right. in, uh, in humans.
0: Right. We have, in childbirth, we have real messed up pelvises. Like our pelvises are, are not, these are not so great. See the Ologies episodes on primatology and gynecology for more on that. Did you ever see the movie Cool Hand Luke? Oh
1: gosh, you know, yes. You did? What do you think? I like Cool Hand Luke. What about the egg eating part? Yeah, it, I, it never bothered me really
0: nobody ever eats 50 eggs hey babalugas we got a bet here my boy says he can eat 50 eggs he can eat 50 eggs just thinking about that sometimes when i make like a lot of like a a clutch if you will of hard-boiled eggs sometimes i think about that and i think oh god
1: see i think so rocky's the same way where he, he comes in after the run and just like so yeah i would never do that
0: the funny thing is if you asked me to eat an undercooked egg a raw egg i'd be like absolutely no Get out of my face. But if you ask me to eat cookie dough, which contains them, I'm like, sign me up. I'm there.
1: Right. What's the deal? It's it's completely illogical. Mind
0: over matter. Mm -hmm. Todd McLaren actually asks, what's your favorite egg art? Ukrainian Easter egg, Madeira, lace egg, Fabergé egg?
1: Oh, I I think those Ukrainian eggs are like incredible. Really beautiful? Yeah, really amazing pieces of artwork.
0: So these Ukrainian eggs, or psanka are ornately detailed using melted beeswax, and they just keep dunking them and dye over and over again. And yes, there is a museum to pisanka eggs in Eastern Europe, in case you're into that. Now, on to a very special question from someone who is technically your grandpa, Larry Ward, aka my pops. He wants to know, how are snake eggs incubated? Does the mom or dad snake sit on them?
1: Yeah, they, they do actually, they, they, yeah, they provide some, uh, but they're, it's, it's funny because that's a good question actually, we need a herpetologist yeah. in the sense of, because they're <laughs> ectotherms.
0: So for this, I brought out the big guns, and by guns I mean snakes, and I reached out to Dr. David Steen of the herpetology episode, aka Alongside Wild on Twitter, and he responded swiftly and with informational precision. He said, Not all snakes lay eggs, but of those that do, the vast majority lay them and leave they just incubate on their own. Now, pythons are a notable exception. They coil around the eggs and they can use muscle contractions to generate heat. So I like to think of pythons doing like a, a twitchy dance, like let's hatch these dang babies. So thanks for the question, Pops. Alicia Mansfield asked, what causes color variations in eggs of the same species? For example, chicken eggs coming in brown, white, or blue?
1: Yeah, that's a... Uh I mean s- some of it's just individual variation, and so so there's some kind of uh, genetic variation in the DNA, well, I guess the DNA that's producing the compounds that are being deposited on the shells eventually mm-hmm. um, but there are these birds like like these common mirrors where they've actually evolved the capacity it's of their in- they're nesting on colonies on these cliffs, and everybody looks alike, and mm-hmm. so the females have the ability to lay unique looking eggs that can be completely different looking from the bird right next to them. And that allows them to imprint on those eggs and then find them when they fly to and from the colony to eat. It's an incredibly cool thing. Wow! And they're still trying to, to do the research. So they're trying to figure out whether females lay the same kind of eggs from year to year. Oh, so whether that's a genetically encoded pattern, and those are really interesting questions.
0: That's great. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Like when you see speckled eggs that maybe look like granite, um, yeah, are those carbon copies of each other every time, or are the speckles in different places? So, so
1: I used to think that it probably was. There was mm-hmm. probably a lot of of uh, variation that was genetically based. It may very well be that most of it's just randomly involved with how fast they're passing through the the cloaca at the time and and you know when they come out it's literally just something different every time and the birds can imprint on it and then find it the next time
0: wow that's so fascinating also fascinating of course how people treat and eat their eggs all over the globe i'm told that also you don't have to refrigerate eggs in europe you just leave your eggs on the counter
1: those Europeans.
0: I know. They leave their butter on the counter. They have health care. They're crazy. Egg suppliers in the US and Australia and Japan and Scandinavia, they give their eggs a little rub-a-dub-dub bath with some soap and water. And then that removes this protective cuticle that prevents bacteria from getting into any hairline cracks. But in other parts of the world, eggs are not washed and the chickens are just vaccinated for salmonella. So Sure. There might be some poop on them, but you don't need an egg shelf in your fridge.
1: No, I mean, I, I, but I when I was working in Brazil the first time, people used to leave mayonnaise unrefrigerated out in the forest. Oh, hell no. And after a while, I started eating
0: it. <gasps> it was fine. Did you lose a lot of weight just because you were constantly sick? No. Really? Yeah. Now, speaking of salmonella... Is that something that you worry about? Yes. Okay. Is that now salmonella? It comes maybe from an, an infected bird. It comes right down the old poop chute, and then you need to wash the eggs to avoid the salmonella, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that that that's one thing that's you know kind of amazing about industry mm-hmm. is is how well they're able to actually keep those things from being issues because mm-hmm. they really, I mean. When there's a salmonella outbreak these days, it's kind of stunning how quickly we know about it and how quickly, in most cases, they figure out exactly where they
0: come from. I know. Isn't it crazy? P.S. Salmonella, I just found this out, is the same genus of bacteria that causes typhoid fever and, of course, just a whole bunch of food poisoning. Now, it can get on the eggs when it passes through the oviduct of a chicken or in the egg as it's forming. Now, not all chickens have salmonella, and some will show signs like lethargy if they do have it. Now, before you go hatching a crate of fertilized eggs, do know it turns out that backyard chickens, if they have salmonella, can pass it along, especially, as the CDC warns, if there has been snuggling of the chicken. And salmonella poisoning does land folks in the hospital, or it can be fatal. So, Don't go licking a bunch of chickens or eating raw eggs or poultry. Ironically, eating raw salmon seems to be fine, but that's because the name salmonella was derived from one Dr. Edgar Elmer Salmon, a veterinary surgeon for whom it was named. Here, Dr. Salmon, we have bestowed you with a legacy for generations, a very confusing fish-sounding disease of the chicken butt that scares people away from cookie dough. Also, if you're like a real cookie dough trollop like myself, just go ahead and make it with pasteurized eggs. Feel free to eat the whole bowl. Does anything in John's work cause him to eat entire salad bowls filled with raw cookies? What is the most annoying thing about eggs or your job?
1: Well, with with eggs, I would say it's it's uh, keeping track of them. So, so, so uh, you have a clutch, but you have four or five eggs in that clutch Mm -hmm. and so you've got to figure out you know they number them all and and so you just got to be careful with respect to getting things mixed up and things and Mm -hmm. then you don't have anything else to go on if things do get mixed up.
0: Oof yeah that's true I mean you can't put a little number on them or?
1: They do put little numbers on them but let's say they're a bunch of little numbers and they were put on uh, 120 years ago (sighs) it's possible that (laughs) you could have a hard time deciphering what was what was done.
0: Do you find that the notes are like very poetically descriptive, more so than they would be these days?
1: Um, not really. It's it, the more, the what's beautiful about them is the different handwriting. Oh, People I had so much better handwriting.
0: I did notice this when I was looking through and swooning over some field note calligraphy among the vintage egg stacks. I mean, that font too. And he had, and he had good handwriting. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wonder, so I, well, do you think he was amateur or do you think he was pro?
1: He was an amateur. Really? Yeah, all these guys were amateurs. Almost all the egg collecting was done by amateurs. It's really amazing.
0: Wow, and they called themselves oologists. Yeah. And yet you've edited a book about eggs.
1: Yep, I'm, your and yours. I'm not calling myself an oologist. Oh, my <laughs> God.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: it's just pathologically humble. Just beautiful cursive and mm-hmm. things in ways that nobody would do today.
0: God, we got to get back into that, I feel like, you know? Because those were the original fonts.
1: Maybe they'll make some computer programs that'll do it, and I can huh. actually effectively do some of that, but it's not going to be me by handwriting.
0: It would be so funny if field biologists had to take like fountain pen courses. You know, like we got to keep it up, guys.
1: There's no doubt that that one of the things we should do is take printing courses. And I'm, I'm exhibit A of somebody who is not good at that. And I have immense amount of respect for my colleagues that actually write impeccable scientific field notes and, and labels and things.
0: I'm looking at some handwriting you have yeah. over here.
1: No, I Not, could, not bad. I could, I could tell you stories. Let us write this for you. Whoa,
0: <laughs> that's one way to get out of doing work. That's like someone asked you to do the dishes, so you break a dish. You never get asked to do the dishes again. It,
1: it, it's, it, except in this case, it's like, <laughs> I really wish I could do it.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I can't type, so you can learn to print, and I'll learn how to type. What do you love the most about eggs?
1: I mean just that there's such an important part of the biology of birds. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the most interesting thing to me and 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 the other thing is that that actually with all the birds in this world and and there're some 10,800 species we probably don't know anything about the eggs of upwards of 30 to 40% of the species wow. maybe.
0: That's crazy. Which is
1: kind of interesting, you know. So there's a lot we don't know about eggs.
0: There's so many mysteries. And what about your job? What's your favorite thing about your job?
1: Well, my favorite thing about my job is learning new things and, and getting to work with a group of organisms that I love and really kind of getting paid for my to do my avocation.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're a professional bird nerd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's the dream for a birder is to be like, I, You get that's like making the, mi- the major leagues.
1: Oh, yeah. I you was, know what I mean? I, was, I, tell, I tell students that, that I, you know, I started out wanting to be a, I was a pre-med and I took a cell biology course, and I realized, really, somebody <gasps> might pay me to actually study birds the rest of my life.
0: So you're like veering off.
1: It was a it was an easy veer.
0: Now, if you would have told yourself, a young birder, that you would get to do this for a living, would you have just been so stoked?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I grew up. My dad was a bird watcher and uh, a very active bird watcher, and and I actually started birding because I, my brother was four years older, and I realized if I wanted to spend any time with. The two of them. I better learn something about birds. Oh. So that's how I got interested in it, and I just even back then I fell in love with the the idea of being able to to study birds up close and in those you know in that kind of way.
0: Mm-hmm. And now you get to study them every day. Yep. And things that come out of them.
1: Yep. <laughs> the and inside d- and exactly. the outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and things that that, that you know that last like mm-hmm. that.
0: Well, I think that your only job left is to come to terms with the fact that you're an oologist. I think you need to accept that. see,
1: but see I could put that on my door and on mm-hmm. my my cards and stuff. That's
0: just not gonna happen. There's imposter syndrome is everywhere. I'm like, I don't know if I know enough. and you're like, you wrote a book about eggs. What more do you want? <laughs> like you managed yeah, but, collection but, of hundred thousand eggs.
1: But I, but I, I think that the, that the the notion of... Yeah, I mean, how many ologists can you actually be? So, so at what point in time will you answer? You know, because I want to be an ornithologist. I like the fact right. that I study birds. Right. You
0: can be more than one. I'm Italian. I'm also English. Yeah. You know true. what I mean? Yeah. Good and point. you can be all kinds of things. So you, I mean, I live in LA. Everyone's a hyphenate. Yoga instructor, actor, life coach. So I hereby proclaim that you are an oologist. <laughs> Fair enough. Yay! Thank you so much for doing this. This was so fun. My pleasure. I could ask you a million egg questions all day. You'll have to come back and talk to a noologist. <laughs> okay. Which is you. <laughs> so once again, Dr. John Bates of the wonderful Field Museum of Chicago. Now, if you like this podcast and the Field Museum, you should definitely check out, if you haven't already, The Brain Scoop, which is the Field Museum's web series hosted by the amazing Emily Grasley. She is A wonderful person and a great science communicator, so you might enjoy those. Also, those videos are family-friendly, so you can watch those with your kids all you want. Now, again, John was an editor alongside Barbara Becker of The Book of Eggs, A Life-Size Guide to the Eggs of 600 of the World's Bird Species, written by Mark E. Hauber and available through Chicago University Press. Now, warning, I do want to say this book is gorgeous and if you see it you will want to purchase it treat yourself now while you're at it ologiesmerch.com has you covered in terms of hats and backpacks and totes and sweatshirts Baby onesies. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltus, for managing that. Also, thank you to the patrons who support the podcast for as little as 25 cents an episode for making this happen. Thanks, Aaron Talbert, for keeping the Facebook group, the Ologies podcast group, fun and cool, full of curious non-jerks. And thanks as always to... Dinosaur Egg Baby, Stephen Ray Morris, for editing ologies all together every week. The theme song was written and performed by Nick Thorburn, and at the end of the episode, after the credits, you know I tell a secret. And this week, my secret is, these asides aren't that long, but it has taken me almost double the amount of time to record them, because I keep starting one and then messing up a word and having to start over and I think it's because I'm recording this in my closet and it's, it's a thousand degrees but this has been the one of probably the most tongue-tied episode I've ever had I cannot figure it out I'm just like hebla thank you for making it this far I am d- about to collapse from heat on my computer oh my god bye bye Meteorology, old factology, seriology,
1: selenology. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs.